Welcome to Recover Strong, a show that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. I'm Jessica Flint, founder of Recovery Warriors, and you are listening to our podcast channel created specifically for you in all the stages and phases of recovery. I want to celebrate you for carving out this special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Andrea Wells. And just like you, I understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder and be held back by body image struggles. The recovery journey is ongoing, and we're all in it together as we learn to embrace new behaviors and new thoughts day by day. Join me as I connect with eating disorder experts and thought leaders to give you the tools, resources, and strategies you need to recover strong. Hey there, Warrior. Today, I have an inspiring interview with a fellow recovery warrior and body liberation advocate, Nia Patterson. We talk about all things recovery and body image, and we dive deep into the stories that we tell ourselves about our bodies and how to rewrite them. This is a great conversation to listen to and ponder as we get ready to launch Beyond Body, our new premium body image accelerator program. Here at Recovery Warriors, we believe that body image doesn't have to hold you back from living your best life. Beyond Body is a body image accelerator program for women in their mid to late 30s, 40s, and 50s who want to come alive and feel more confident and empowered in the skin they're in so they can make the most out of their relationships, career, and health. Be the first to book your discovery call over at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Until then, enjoy this interview with Nia Patterson. Today, I'm joined by eating disorder survivor and mental health advocate, Nia Patterson. They're a social activist, content creator, artist, podcaster, and business and body image coach. You may know Nia as the friend I never wanted online, where they share messages about eating disorder recovery, body liberation, fat activism, body acceptance, and more. And this past November 2023, Nia released their first book titled What's the Story? A guided walkthrough of the stories you tell yourself about your body. And they're here to discuss this book and share their experience pursuing eating disorder recovery as a queer Black person in a larger body. Nia is passionate about advocating for people in marginalized bodies and seeks to bring resources to those underrepresented in healthcare and eating disorder treatment. They've partnered with several eating disorder resources and organizations over the years to help achieve this goal. And I'm so excited for you to listen in as Nia and I discuss their work and share valuable insights to set you on a stronger path in recovery. So welcome, Nia. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. So to start things off, can you please share what was your experience like living with and recovering from an eating disorder? Yes, that is a great place to start out. Um... So I guess my eating disorder started when I was about nine years old. So we can jump back there for a quick moment. I had a lot of traumatic events that happened in a relatively short amount of time. And as a way to cope and deal and just like essentially survive the traumatic experiences that had happened in my life, I started eating, snacking, eating a lot of candy And I know that sounds like probably like, oh, well, it's just a kid eating a lot of candy. Like, 
maybe they shouldn't eat that. Like these were all the things that were said to me. And at the time probably seemed like that. Like, why is this kid hiding candy wrappers in the back of the couch, that sort of thing. But like now looking back, like, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, or sometimes even ten ten, And like, now I know that I had the, or I was developing an eating disorder and going down a very long road of ups and downs and twists and turns. And my eating disorder stayed active until about 2016. And I ended up going to formal treatment in 2017. For my eating disorder, it really went from, you know, originally being snacking and eating a lot of sweets and candy and all of that to restricting at a certain point. And, you know, once my body started to show the side effects of the amount of food that I was eating and essentially just binge eating, um, I started to get bullied more. I started to have more outward effects that were also traumatic. And so I started restricting as a way to deal with that. And then it was just like a nest of eating disorder behaviors and really glad that I was able to get support. But for me, it really was like me having to seek out the support, me having to come to the realization that there was something wrong and that I wanted support and that I deserved support as opposed to, you know, people's stories where their parents put them in treatment or they were taken to treatment to get better. It was very much the opposite for me where everyone was just like me is fine. And I was like, something's not right here. So like, yeah, that was kind of my experience. Uh, well, it's one of those things where like restricting is praised when you're in a larger body and it's, then when you're in a smaller body, suddenly people are worried, right? Like it's a totally different experience yes. whether you're in a larger body. But where are you now in your recovery journey? Like how are you these days? Yes. So now I define my recovery as strong recovery. Someone said that once and I have picked it up and used it ever since. But for me, that looks like not engaging in active behaviors, not actively hating or wanting to change my body, and more just like pursuing body liberation and just like sort of like um pursuing just better resources and better outcomes for all marginalized people and i'm not saying that like everyone's recovery has to involve activism work i also think that if you go through recovery that is equitable and actively involves fat acceptance especially if you're in a larger body it's kind of hard to get out of good good treatment and not have some sort of activist flair. I don't know. Maybe that's just my <laughs> opinion. But um, like, it's kind of hard to like, be in the world in a fat body and not be mad about how fat people are treated once you've had your eyes open to it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very so. valid. And that makes sense because we do live in a world that is full of so many fat phobic messages, diet cultures everywhere. How, like, what advice would you give to someone who's struggling to maintain a strong recovery living in a world with these kind of messages? Yes. So for me, something that has been so, so, so helpful has been having a good support system, whether that is friends online, whether that's friends in person, whether that's your dog or your cat or I don't know, your lizard, like, but like, if there's someone there who's showing up for you every day and is like, I love you regardless of your body, like that goes so much further than just like anything 
more tangible that like is still important. Like, so I would also recommend like curating your social media so that you're not seeing like a bunch of like diet culture, diety, especially new year, new me ads, or like the, I still get like my Instagram has been curated for years, but I've started recently getting like weight loss ads. And I'm like, where are y'all coming from? Like, I have done the work to like not be bombarded by you. So like actively clicking and saying like, see less of these or like blocking that company on social media. Like I'm still doing that now, which means that if you have not been doing that for the past, like, I don't know, seven years, like you might need to do that and that's okay. It probably sucks, but like block them, block them. (laughs) That's been really helpful. So like, yeah, that's a good tip. I don't think a lot of people realize you can do just what you said. You can report an ad, you can block it, you can click see less of it. And that's a helpful tool. Oh, yes. I report everything as scam and misleading. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I'm like, uh uh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Diets don't work, right? So we know it's a scam. It's misleading. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So let's get into your book. It's called What's the Story? What kind of stories do people tell themselves about their bodies, especially if they're living with an eating disorder? I love that question. So it's giving me, um, when you asked that question, it reminded me of the first time that I realized how loud my eating disorder was in my head. I think that I was in group and someone suggested like a TED talk video. And she talked in the video about how people in this case, she was talking about anorexia, but like it exists with like all eating disorders, um, how they, how people with anorexia have like statistically louder voices in their heads that are like talking about like food and weight loss and their bodies and perfectionism and all these things that like, it's just like, um, it's like having like a beehive in your head sometimes, like where it's just like this constant hum of thoughts. And I remember watching that video and I was like, I have those thoughts. I, my head is full of those thoughts. But until that moment, I hadn't realized, like it hadn't been brought to like the forefront of my head to be like, oh my gosh, I'm having those thoughts all the time. They're so loud. I just like had lived with it. Like if you had a beehive in your living room and you did not have the opportunity to move like you would figure out a way to deal with it you would figure out a way like even if that meant you got stung sometimes like you would be like okay well that's just kind of the reality of what this is as the beehive grows it probably takes over more and more of your living room and you get more and more uncomfortable but you're still like hey it's fine no other options and that's kind of the reality of having an eating disorder because Like, sure, it starts out small, usually for most of us. And maybe it's like one diet culture comment. Maybe it's one diet thought. Maybe it's something that your mom once said about her body. And then it grows into you thinking that about your body, you thinking about food that way. Like if you are someone who counts calories, like the numbers are in your head at all times, like it gets really, really loud in there. And, um, And we're just like kind of sitting here like, okay, I don't, I can't really get, get it out of my head sometimes. So like, I'll figure out a way to deal with it. And so when I work with people who in recovery from their eating disorder or who are just like dealing with body image issues, and I don't mean that as like just as if it's not that bad, but like, as in they don't have an active eating disorder on top of their body image stuff right now. Um, 
a lot of times they're telling themselves stories of like, I'm not good enough or like, I am not capable of doing this. Something that one of my clients at one point said was like, I hate going to get the mail because people might see me. And if people see me, they're going to like yell at me and like berate me for being fat. And like, this all stemmed from like one incident where like, um, they were like berated by someone when they were at the mailbox. But like, obviously, that's not an everyday experience, but our brains turn it into like, this could happen to me every time I go to the mail, the mail is not safe for me. Like there is this whole like, story that we tell ourselves based on like this one incident with our body and it can paralyze us. How can people rewrite their body story? So one thing that I find personally helpful, there's so many ways to do it. But one thing that's helpful for me as someone who processes auditorily and like out loud is being able to tell my thoughts to other people who can like tell me that they're ridiculous or that they're like Mm -hmm. not real or like, that I sh- like that they're not founded in like factual evidence because in my head I am so good at finding facts for everything even if they're made up facts that I'm like oh this is logically making so much sense and I'll tell someone and they're like Nia no and I'm like dang it again <laughs> like so for me being able to tell someone like working with like a coach or like provider that like is able to call like call bullshit and be like, no, 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 no. Like that's not real. Let's get to the root of this and then reframe that thought. So if that thought is like, every time I go to the mailbox, I think I'm going to get braided. It's like thinking like, okay, worst case scenario, if that did happen, what would I do? And if I go to the mailbox and I, no one says anything, no one sees me, I am fine. It is, it's like taking that story and making that the primary narrative for you in your head. And so for those people who like don't have access to another human or like a provider or someone to call bullshit on their thoughts, that's why I wrote this book because the book walks you through like the steps of like, what is the story in your head? What is going on? Like, what are the fears that are coming up around fatness for you? What is the like fat phobia that's in your head about your own body and other people's bodies? Like it's walking you through that. It's almost like, it's almost like you have a friend there or me, me, your friend. And like, even if like, I'm not there, like I'm there in text format. And so that can be really helpful. Yeah. I know workbooks are, they're so helpful for so many people. I use them in my recovery journey as well. And you brought up fat phobia, and I know part of a section of your book is called How to Take an Inventory of Your Own Internalized Fat Phobia. So can you explain what internalized fat phobia is and why tackling it is so important for recovery? Yes. So fat phobia itself, or you can also call it anti-fat bias. I do a lot of slashes in my book because people use both words. Fat phobia is like, if you break it down, it's the fear of fat. So like I talk about like, what is your fear of fat? But also it's not, it's not literally like, oh my gosh, I'm deathly terrified of like fat people. Like if you're put like, I mean, some people might have a visceral reaction to fat people, but for the most part, it is this strong dislike of being fat or being perceived as fat because of how society treats people who are fat. And so I, once again, do not think that you get out of this world with without having some form of fat phobia in 
your mind because we're taught it from such a young age. And just because you don't believe, support, or uphold those thoughts, they still exist in your head. But it's like the thought that like, oh, if I were thinner, like I would feel better. Or it's the thought that like, uh, like smaller clothing sizes are better. These are all like just like little tiny fat phobic thoughts. And they're obviously more extreme for people who have body image issues or body image concerns. But like, so those are like internal towards themselves. And so that's where we get internalized fat phobia. It's not just like, it's not like calling the person walking down the street, like fat or yelling at them or making fun of them or bullying them, which is obviously very problematic. It is usually directed inwards towards ourselves and saying like, oh, I'm not worthy of, you know, food. I'm not worthy of like water. I'm worthy of like, like love from other humans because I'm fat or because my body doesn't fit societal norms. And so breaking it down in my book, we're like walking through steps of like, like, what are these thoughts that you're having? How are you perceiving other people? How are you perceiving yourself? And a lot of these things like gave this book to people who have been doing this work for a long time. And they were like, I didn't even realize that I had those thoughts. So like, if you do the inventory and you're like, oh my God, like, am I the most fat phobic person ever? Newsflash, you're not. It's society that has done this to everyone. And so like, but like knowing where you're at, what thoughts you're having, how it's showing up for you is a great place to like start. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like there's a lot of layers to the onion. Like there's overt fat phobia, like you said, yelling at someone on the street or going to the mailbox. And then there's just like the little the thoughts you have, the little microaggressions either in your mind or that you hear from other people. And when we talk about like fat phobia and fat acceptance, I think a lot of people can, or some people can think that maybe it doesn't apply to them or it only applies if you're in a larger body that you need to work on these things. It applies to everyone. Yeah. So can you explain why is it important to embrace fat acceptance and recovery no matter what your body size is? Yes. It's important because it trickles down to everyone. So even if you don't have fat friends, it's affecting someone else in the world and it's affecting you ultimately as well. So what I think about is like, like even if it affects like the most fat marginalized person on one end and like, this is like a spectrum, but like if it affects the most fat, most marginalized person, maybe they don't just have the identity of fatness, but they have the identity of disabled and they have the identity of BIPOC and they have the identity of trans or gender nonconforming or gender expansive. And if we do the work to benefit this one person and fight oppression in their life and systemic oppression and outright oppression and micro oppression in this one person's life benefits everyone else. Because if you do something to benefit them in relation to fatness, like anyone who's ever had a horrible thought about themselves in related relation to fatness is benefited because it's fought and it's overcome and it's achieved. Anyone who's ever had an issue, a thought related to their gender, it affects them. And if you think that that doesn't affect you because you're not trans or non-binary or gender expansive, it does affect you. And then anything related to race and religion and like everything that this person holds in their identity 
it benefits everyone else because we're fighting for the most marginalized person. It's just a trickle down effect. And so when I like when people say like it doesn't affect me, like you would have to be literally the most privileged person in the entire world, which I don't think that's like a game that we're playing. But like if you were the most privileged person in the entire world, in some regards, it would affect you or the people that you know, because other people that you know would be less privileged than you. So if you have a fat friend, if you have a black friend or a brown friend or a friend whose gender is not cisgender, doing anti-oppression work benefits them. And I feel like if you're a good friend, you should be showing up for them too. Yeah, absolutely. And no one is totally unscathed by these things or, or unaffected. I think particularly with fat acceptance, like even if you're in a small body or the most, you know, you hit all the societal beauty ideals, but you're living with an eating disorder and you're afraid of being fat. Well, if you understand that being fat is okay and yeah. you embrace fat acceptance, there goes the power of the eating disorder, right? Right. And I think the thing that gets me, and I've had this conversation with certain people before, is like there is almost this thought of people who do hit those marks of societal beauty and who are in smaller bodies. And they're like, I have worked so hard to get to this place. I have dieted. I have done makeup. I have gotten plastic surgery. I have gotten gender affirming care. Even if you're cisgender, that's a real thing. Um, All these things. I've done all these things. I've overcome so much and I've worked so hard to be this beautiful, this thin, this pretty, all these things. And like, and now you're telling me that like fat people are happy. Like now you're <laughs> telling me that fat people are allowed to exist. You're telling me that I didn't have to work this hard to be this pretty and this thin and this straight sized. And like, I could have been happy the whole time. Yeah, you could have. We could do the work so that everyone could be happy. It's not a game of like only certain people get to be happy or fulfilled in their life. Like we should all be fulfilled and happy in our life. Why would we not want other people to be happy and fulfilled in their life? And I'm not saying that you're a bad person. If you're like, why are the fat people happy? I'm just saying like society has made it a shit show and like everyone should be able to be in a body that they care about and feel comfortable in and love and like are okay with. Mm -hmm. How can someone like let go of that desire for a smaller body or to hit these societal beauty ideals? Like, how do you really let that go and live that better life? It's not like, it's not like, oh, I'm so good with my body stamp on it. And it's gone. It's like literally like an everyday thing. Like I, I wish I so wish that it was just like a stamp on your little like body passport. And like, you never wanted to be thin again like that would be the bomb but like it's literally like reframing those thoughts it's like it's like every time that thought comes up you have to like change it and like I tell my clients like yeah that might be exhausting right now that might like you might not get every single thought you might not want to get every single thought you might be really tired by like doing this every time that thought comes up but at some point instead of that thought coming up every one second or every five seconds or every one minute, like it comes up once every three minutes, it comes up once every four minutes, it comes up once every 10 minutes, maybe you go a whole day at some point, And you don't think to yourself, wow, I really wish I was thin today. And then you're like, whoa, I went a whole day without thinking that thought that was really nice. 
why would I not keep doing it? Like it gets better and it gets easier, but living in the society that we live in, I, I don't think that it's going away for forever, but it gets to a point where it's not your reality all the time. Yeah. And it is small incremental changes. And um, I saw you share something recently about the body acceptance spectrum. So I don't know if you could break that down, explain what that is and how that can help someone with their body image healing journey. Sure. Yes. Um, so the body acceptance spectrum, I've, I sort of have like heard pieces of this throughout my recovery. And then I like, threw it into a concept (laughs) but (laughs) for me it's like the spectrum that exists from like and i mean people have like pointed out and commented that it can be like a loop all as well like when we think of a spectrum it's not like you necessarily start at point a and like go to point z like there are so many different spots along there and like you can jump back from like c to a or you can go from like to like why like there's so many different options it's not like you only do one thing so like you are allowed to be your own human this is totally fine Uh, how I see it is that like there is this like body hatred sort of spot that like a lot of us grow up in or are conditioned to be in it's based on like the society we live in what our parents have told us what we've learned inherently through like living our human lives in this world And that's a place of feeling like, wow, I really don't like my body today, or I want to change it. I'm not content. And maybe you're not saying like, I hate my body and like shaking your finger at it. But like, a lot of times you're not like super gung ho about your body. And then on the other end of the spectrum is this like state of like body love, which is like probably the what people would consider like an ideal relationship with their body or like a perfect relationship. And like, when you think about like, quote unquote happiness, maybe that's where body love exists. But what I also think about is like body neutrality. That word gets thrown around a lot. There's like body neutrality, there's body acceptance, all these words exist on the spectrum. And for me, neutrality might look different than for you, what neutrality looks like. For me, it's like having a good relationship with my body, but not having my body be the center of my relationship with myself. So it's just like one aspect of this relationship. And I break these down on Instagram and also in my book as to like what they kind of sound like. But I think the game changer for me in my recovery was I was shooting for body acceptance. I was shooting for body positivity at the time. I was shooting for body neutrality and I had a therapist in a group be like, what if you were just trying to tolerate your body? Like, what if you weren't like trying to love it or like accept it or like be neutral toward it? Like, what if like before you even got there, you were just like, hey, today I'm really pissed about my body, but I'm going to tolerate it. And I was like, okay, bet I can do that. I can shoot for that because I tolerate a lot of shit that I'm not happy about. I can tolerate my body today. And that was like a game changer for me that like, that was still progress. That was still making a change in my relationship to my body was being like, I really don't like my fat rolls, but I'm tolerating them on my body and I'm choosing not to change them today. And that gave me kind of like an out from behaviors and hatred, but also wasn't like, oh, I have no feelings at all towards my body, which like sounded like super, super hard at that point. So yeah, that's kind of how I see the spectrum. And 
the post says like, where do you exist along the spectrum? And like I said, you can jump from point A to point B, point B to E, like you have so many options, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's really helpful to just have like a visual. There's five different spots on the spectrum that you've outlined. The first one is not aware, and then body hatred, and then body tolerance, body neutral, and then body love. And that is the full spectrum of body acceptance. You could add in other spots too for whatever feels good for you and like whatever wording. Like obviously for me now, like I said, body positivity doesn't like resonate for me, but like maybe that would be in between body neutrality and body love. So like whatever feels good for you um, is totally fine. Absolutely. It's different for everyone. And like, I know for me in the morning, one day I might be in one part of the spectrum in the afternoon, I'm in a different part. Like it's, it's so fluid. And I think it's really helpful to have this like visual and laid out. So I'm going to link this for the episode notes so the listener can take a look at that. So to wrap this up, I'd love to end this with like, what kind of changes would you like to see in the eating disorder space to better support fat positivity and acceptance and body liberation? Dang, there's so many things I would change. I feel like, yeah, ultimately, I would really like to see traditional treatment, like uprooted, sh- like shaken around and then like replanted. I feel like there needs to be better and more comprehensive community care. I feel like there needs to be alternatives to what we call formal treatment. And I feel like, I feel like so many people are getting dropped through the cracks that like, there has to be a better solution. There has to be like some sort of net. I know that like, there are nonprofits trying to do the work, there are providers on their own trying to do the work, but like, oh, it's just not catching everyone still. And treatment is so expensive and so inaccessible to so many people. And like, this is this is talking about people who even know they have an eating disorder or are aware of what an eating disorder is and what it looks like. And there are so many people who aren't. And then we talk about like places in the world where food scarcity is just like a thing. And obviously, if food scarcity is a thing, then eating disorders are a thing. And those people also need support. So like, I guess like one thing that I would say and I do like a talk about this is how body liberation really needs to be like one of the first steps or among the first steps of recovery and not just like the last step in recovery or like the thing that providers are like, it'll get better. Like, you know, once you start eating, like that's not how body image works. Like it's not like a just wait and it'll get better. Like there are active steps that we need to be taking to help people feel better about their bodies. And when we feel better about our bodies and society isn't telling us that we need to hate our bodies, we're so much more likely to eat, you know, because we're not afraid of gaining weight. Mm. Um, And so that just feels like so important to me. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's a very big concept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to narrow it down to one thing, right? There's so much room for improvement. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Because I remember being in recovery and different, you know, treatment options that I had, which I was very lucky to have. And so many people and professionals would be like, yeah, like body image comes later. That's down the road. Exactly. But how nice would it be if mm-hmm. that was actually one of the top priorities along with everything else? Right. And I just, I feel like so often the providers that were saying that to me, were in straight size bodies. And so having them tell me like, you'll like your body later felt like the biggest lie to me. Like I was like, well, of course this isn't an issue for you. Like 
little did I know that it is an issue for you. But at this point, like, I was like, you wouldn't get it because you're not in a fat body like me. And like, it was so like, so important. And so like, eminent to my life. And it felt like the end of the world, like to the point that I was like, I don't want to sit here and eat a sandwich. I just don't want to be fat. Like, and if someone had been like, let's work on that. Like, let's address that. Let's talk about that. Here are some actionable steps you can take. Maybe recovery wouldn't have been as rocky or like it would have felt like I was doing something more forward, like pacing than like what I felt like it in early recovery. Yeah. I think unfortunately a lot of people are left to kind of just figure that out, figure that out on their own. That is why I wrote this book. How can people find your book? The best place to find my book is either good old Amazon or my website, which is neapatterson.com. And if you are on the Instagrams or I mean, most social medias at this point, the friend I never wanted is my main account. And you can find all of my links on that account. Awesome. And I will link to those in the show notes. And while you're bringing up your username, I wanted to ask you like the meaning behind it. I think I I saw you kind of explain (laughs) it before, but I don't know if I got it. Yeah, yeah. So it's the friend I never wanted. And in the the support group that I started recovery in, we had we were like joking around one day that like the art eating disorders were like these friends that we just like, never signed up for but like we're hanging around and wouldn't leave us alone and one girl was like yeah mine's like this really like sickly old dude who like coughs all the time and like stands behind me and like so we were just like joking about this and I was like I'm gonna name my account that I'm gonna name it the (laughs) friend I never wanted and so like for a while there it was like the friend I never wanted and like the last ED was like capitalized for like eating disorder because like obviously marketing branding brain but like (laughs) now it's just the friend I never wanted and no one knows what it means so it's just like a running joke I guess at this point but I know (laughs) what it means but yeah it's great it's working out I was curious I saw something you kind of mentioned about it but it was still sort of unclear to me I'm like I'm gonna ask them when I have the (laughs) the opportunity (laughs) there you go I always love answering that one because I'm like maybe someone else out there will now know what this means yeah so yes the good background story too I like it right well thank you for explaining that and I will link to your social and your book in the episode notes for the listener and just thank you for taking the time to be here today to speak with me Nia and thank you for all the incredible work that you do to be a voice for recovery and body liberation. It is so appreciated and needed. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior.